You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Everyone, Luke chapter 9 is where we are. I'm going to read in verse 18 uh, through verse 24. Now it happened as he was praying alone. The disciples were with him and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah, and others, uh, that one of the prophets of old is risen. And then he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And then he said to all, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Let's pray together one more time. Father, we need you. We desperately need you. Um, In a world and even in our own bodies where we are constantly uh, being pulled in a direction that feels like the opposite way of the way that you're pulling us. As we continue to receive messages over and over that says that that going our own way is the best way, we need a fresh reminder this morning that following you is truly the unlikely path that leads us to the life that we are longing for. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will do what only you can do in this moment and take these words and drive them into our hearts and transform us from the inside out. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. Well, we live in a branded culture. Uh, What I mean by that is we live in a culture where every organization and business is trying to brand themselves by, by putting forward for us these, these symbols or, or um, uh, these little icons that basically communicate who they are or what they are all about. For example, whenever you see the symbol for Starbucks, right, you probably think of coffee or a peppermint latte or a mocha. Whenever you see the logo for FedEx um, and you see that little arrow moving forward, you're supposed to be thinking of, you know, the fastest, you know, uh, courier service out there. And I know that Aaron and uh, UPS driver here, anybody else that works for UPS, I'm not saying, uh, this is not my promotion to them over you guys. I know y'all are super quick too, but right? That's what we think of whenever we think of FedEx. Whenever we see the Amazon logo, right? What do we think of? Was we see that little arrow go from A to Z. We think Amazon is the one-stop shop that we go to get whatever we want from A to Z. Whenever you see this next logo here, McDonald's, right? What do you think of? For me, I think of disgusting, right? And so for some of you, you think a hot, crunchy, salty french fries or a Big Mac or chicken nuggets or whatever your thing is. Some of you, maybe you're like seeing this and you're salivating right now thinking about like, this is where I'm going. As soon as this guy shuts up, right, I'm going to get me something. My kids think a Happy Meal every time they see that in a toy, right? Um, a, a more local logo is um, this one here, Gearhead Outfitters, right? Some of you, whenever you see Gearhead, and they actually have another logo that's got like the, the actual the gear with the little peace symbols or whatever, and we see that. We're to think, hey, if I want to live in a, an outdoor lifestyle, an 
active and living lifestyle. This is where I go to get the proper fitting shoes or the gear that I need in order to live life to the fullest, to be adventurous. And so just what I want you to see here is that every organization and business is branding themselves to try to communicate to you who they are and what they are about. This isn't just something that businesses do. We do it as people. Uh, I remember whenever I was in junior high, I branded myself. Because I wanted to be popular, um, I threw on Tommy Hilfiger, right? Uh, if you were in junior high in the 90s, right, you wanted to wear Tommy Hill. And as far as uh, the shoes go, I was uh, someone who always wanted to wear the Doc Martens. Uh, I'm not sure if we have those. Do we have the Doc Martens? Anybody remember? Yeah. Who owned a pair of Doc Martens? Anybody see a show of hands? Yeah. Do you remember what it was like when you got your first pair of Doc Martens? I mean, it was amazing, right? Pulling those out. And if you didn't want to wear Doc Martens, you wanted to go athletic uh, gear, of course, you wore uh, the Air Jordans. And so um, obviously a very popular shoe as well. What's that all about? It's about branding yourself, right? I mean, these clothes, these shoes, they're made by the same companies that make, you know, the clothes and Dollar General or Walmart or the, the stuff that's considered the off-brand. But because of a logo, because of a symbol, it means something. It communicates something to each of us. And the reason I share all that is because think about this. When it comes to Christianity, for thousands of years now, the logo has not changed. For thousands of years, the brand, the symbol for our entire faith and discipleship to Jesus is the cross. Now, for us, whenever we think of the cross, um, maybe some of you think of pieces of jewelry that you wear or decorative art to put in your house or something that a church building puts on their steeple to say, hey, we are a Christian movement. But for those in Jesus' day, the symbol of the cross actually stood for something much, much different than it does for many of us. What you need to understand today is that the crucifixion in Jesus' day had actually been around for hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene. By the time Jesus was walking in the first century, the crucifixion had been perfected by the Roman Empire and their aid, right, for, for like world domination. And what we know about this is when it comes to the crucifixion, it not only was the most painful way that someone could die, It was also the most shameful way. Um, The word excruciating, which we often use today, it was literally a word that was invented to describe the pain one would experience on the cross. The word excruciating actually literally means from out of the cross. So death on the cross was very painful, but it was also very shameful. And the fact that you would often be stripped naked or nearly naked and you would be nailed to a cross in a public area where people passing you by, if they wanted to, could mock you and belittle you. Needless to say, in Jesus' day, the cross was a horrific image. It was a symbol of torture and execution that was reserved for the worst of the worst criminals. And yet, this is the death that Jesus died for you and me. Jesus, the only perfect man who ever lived, God in the flesh, went to the cross and he paid the penalty that we should have been paying for our sin against God so that we could be forgiven and freed. And here's what you need to understand. For Jesus to die on the cross for us would be equivalent in our culture today for us to watch him being beheaded by a machete by ISIS on YouTube. It was that inhumane. It was that barbaric. It was that grotesque and embarrassing. It was such a horrific image that we would not want to see it. But if we so happen to have to watch it, we would never be able to get those images out of our minds again. And therefore, in that context, what you need to remember is when Jesus looks at the crowds and he says, If you want to be my disciple, 
If you want to follow after me, he says, you must pick up your cross and come after me. What you need to know is the people during that time and that audience would have been hearing the message loud and clear. And here's what the message would have been. If you want to be my disciple, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to really live, you must first be willing to die. This is why Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor, theologian, and a spy during an anti-Nazi movement, wrote this in his classic book, The Cost of Discipleship. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. For many people throughout history, this has meant a literal death. In fact, for all of Jesus' disciples, this meant a literal physical death. We read in the book of Acts that James was beheaded by Herod. Matthew killed by the sword in Ethiopia. Mark dragged by horses in the streets of Alexandria. Luke was hung in Greece. Thomas was speared to death in India. Peter crucified upside down in Rome. John boiled in tar and left in the Mediterranean to die. Philip, Bartholomew, Andrew, Simon, Matthias, all the disciples literally, physically lost their lives because of their commitment to follow after Jesus. Now listen... I would hope if we were ever presented with the same circumstance that we would choose the same path as them in our devotion to Jesus. Fortunately, though, in American culture, this is not something most of us have to worry about. For most of us, the the, the call to pick up a cross is not a call to a physical death. But listen to me. It is absolutely a call to a metaphorical death. In America, the call to pick up the cross is a call to self-denial in an age of self fulfillment. In other words, to pick up the cross and to follow Jesus is to say to him, whatever, whenever, and wherever. It's to say, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, and whenever you want me to do it, I absolutely will do it. If we can be honest this morning, this is not where some of us are. And if this isn't where you are, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. As we say each week, fellowship is a place where you can belong before you believe that Jesus is the way. But for most of us, I mean, we we aren't really ready to go all in on following Jesus, at least not in the way that Jesus talks about here. And I was thinking about this this past week as I uh, heard someone talking about the knights in the ninth century during the Crusades. And whenever they would be baptized, they would ask to be baptized in their armor. And what they would do is they would hold their swords up out of the waters as as if to say, Jesus will give you everything but this. We'll give you everything but our way of living through violence. And it's really kind of a silly picture But is it not something that each of us are doing every single day? It's just that we're way better at hiding it and faking it. I mean, can you imagine here if we had honest baptisms where we were like, okay, listen, we're going to baptize you and here's what we want you to do. Like whatever you don't really want to give to Jesus, just hold it out of the water whenever we dunk you. Can you imagine people like holding their iPhones up, you know? Or their picture of that boyfriend or girlfriend or their wallet or their Xbox. or I mean, I don't know. It could be a series of things. And again, it's a pretty like silly picture. And yet I would say it happens to us every single week whenever we say, Jesus, you can have that, but you can't have this. Jesus, you can have that habit and you can have that hobby and you can have that day of the week, but you can't have this day of the week. Um, even this morning, my son... As I was getting ready to, to walk out the door, um, we were looking at his piggy bank, and yesterday he bought a toy at a garage sale, and so whenever he goes to buy something, we have him recount the money and say, okay, let's, let's give some of this back to God. God uh, you know, calls us to give uh, 10%. It's a good starting point. So he had $1.50, so we said, let's give uh, uh, 15 cents back to God today. 
And I said, like, man, why are you? And I, and I showed him. I was like, well, you get to keep all, God that you keep all of this. This is such a gift. You didn't work for this. This is a gift from God. And you just like these two, like a dime and a nickel. That's all you have to give back. Like, isn't that crazy? What a generous God. And he looks at me and says, I don't want to give it. And I was like, well, why not? He said, my friends don't. And I was like, well, first off, you don't know if your friends do. And secondly, it doesn't matter if they do. Like God says for you to give. So you be obedient to what God calls you to do. And then he looks and he says to me, um, he says, uh, okay, well, I'll give him this. And he slides the dime back and he just holds back the nickel. And I was like, no, son. I was like, he wants you to give the dime and the nickel. And he says, okay, well, how about this? How about I give him these? I don't want these. And he pulls all the pennies and like, it's like 20 pennies. Like, I don't want any of these. I'll give him that. And I started thinking like, man, like, is that not a picture of us even as adults? I mean, I'll follow Jesus, but man, none of these other people who call themselves Christians are following him in that way. So why should I? The rest of the world's not doing that. Not even the people in the church are doing that. So why should I do that? Right? Like, okay, yeah, yeah. I'll, I know he said to give this amount, but I'm going to give, like, how about I keep some of this? How about I keep the stuff I don't want, which, by the way, is not even a sacrifice. And I just give him the stuff that, in the end, I don't really want. If we can be honest, and I'm throwing myself in here, this is a way that we are tempted to live every single day, and yet it is not, according to Jesus, the way of Jesus. In verse 22, we see the way of Jesus is death, burial, and resurrection. And then in verse 23, Jesus makes it clear this is not just the pattern for his life. This is the pattern for our lives, for every disciple. In verse 23, if you look again, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. What's the next word? Daily. To pick up your cross is not a one-time event. To pick up your cross is not to say, oh yeah, I did that back in 94. Yeah, I did that at the vacation Bible school. I did that at revival and now I'm good to go. No, to pick up your cross is a daily death. And it's a death to all sorts of things. Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 5. If you'll hold your spot in Luke 9, flip with me to Galatians 5. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put it on the screen for you. Here's what Paul says in Galatians 5 verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Let me stop right there. Do you hear what Paul is saying? He says to follow Jesus when you receive the Holy Spirit. Listen, guys, listen carefully. The Spirit is going to absolutely call you to do things that are opposed to what your flesh is calling you to do. Therefore, as soon as you sign up for Jesus, to follow Jesus, you are signing up to head an opposite direction of the way your flesh wants to go. That's what he's saying here. Verse 18, but if you were led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Here they are. You ready? Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Therefore, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You hear what Paul's saying here? He says, listen, if you're a Christian, if you have the Holy Spirit, you are at war every single day. You are in a battle every single day between your fleshly desires, which are evil, 
and the desires of the Spirit, which are beautiful and true. And look right at me, guys. Listen, this is a tension that you will live with for the rest of your life on this side of eternity. Some people, maybe some of you believe that Christian maturity is experiencing less and less temptation. That's not true. Christian maturity is not experiencing less temptation. Rather, Christian maturity is just giving in the temptation less. You understand the difference? You're always going to be tempted. There's always going to be this war and this battle every single day between the flesh and the spirit. And what Paul says here is one of the key tasks of the disciples of Jesus is learning how to crucify that flesh. It's learning how to put to death the flesh so that we can begin to experience in the Holy Spirit right, the resurrection life of Jesus that he offers to us today. This is not varsity Christianity. This is baseline Christianity. Paul says, I mean, Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if anyone wants to be my disciple, if anyone wants to be a Christian, if anyone wants to experience eternal life, he must be willing to pick up his cross and deny himself. When you say yes to Jesus, a true disciple realizes they are saying no to thousands of other things. And this is why the call to follow Jesus for some of you is just too much to ask. When you think about it in Luke chapter 9, I mean, we see an example right here in this chapter in verse 57. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him in verse 58, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Isn't that an interesting response from Jesus? Someone says, Jesus, I'll follow you. And Jesus doesn't go, thank you. That's so amazing. Thank you. I was just looking for anybody to follow me. Thank you. No, he says, consider the cost. Consider, hang on, consider the cost. And then he looks at someone in 59, verse 59 and says, hey, you follow me. And he says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Does that not seem like a legitimate, a legitimate excuse not to follow at that moment? And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those who are at home. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. When you read in the Gospels, you'll see people all the time who are excited about following Jesus. But as Jesus begins to get them to count the cost, you'll begin to watch as scores of people drag their feet. And begin to make excuses and say, basically, okay, Jesus, look, I can't follow you now, but I'll follow you later. Just not good for me in this season of life. I, I can't do it your way, but I can do it this way. And the reason I, I share that is because I really don't think there's that many of us today that can say that we're that much different when it comes to our own commitment to following Jesus. I mean, are we not all tempted to make excuses? Are, are we not all tempted to justify our own lack of self-denial? And by the way, I think one of the perennial favorites from what I've heard over the last five years is we use our family as an excuse for why we can't follow Jesus. As if Jesus just didn't know better when he asked us to follow him, he forgot that we're going to have kids and spouses someday. 
And he didn't realize that those two, like, can't, they can't go hand in hand. All I want you to see here in this story is the reality that these guys, they choose not to follow Jesus. And the reason is not because they don't believe in Jesus. Clearly, they believe in him. He's standing right there. The problem is not that these guys don't believe in Jesus. The problem is they're not willing to pay the price to follow Jesus. You understand the difference? The problem is not that these guys are atheists. The problem is that they have a vague, non-committal, consumeristic faith that wants the benefit of Jesus without the cost of following Jesus. And don't you love how Jesus just doesn't compromise? <laughs> I mean, he doesn't say, well, oh, before you leave, like I'd rather have you half in than not in at all. No, he says, here's the call. All in or all out? Which one you want? Jesus obviously does not care about building up a mega church with a bunch of apathetic people. He wants true followers. And we see an example of this again if you look uh, just a couple of chapters over in Luke 14. It says a great, uh, many people sort of following Jesus at this point in his ministry. He began to be very popular. And one thing that's crazy about Jesus that convicts me as a pastor is every time he started getting popular or people started following him, he'd say something really harsh and like thin the crowds out. And so he does that again in chapter 14. He says, if anyone would come after me, look at, look at this. Verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Is that really in the Bible? I wish it wasn't. I really, I really wish it wasn't. What Jesus is saying here, just to be clear, is he's not saying that you literally should hate your spouse or your kids or your parents. And that would go against everything else Jesus had been saying his whole ministry. He said literally you should love your enemies. In the book of Timothy, it says if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than a non-Christian. So Jesus isn't saying like you should neglect your family. What he is saying is, <clears throat> is this. He's saying that the love you have for your own spouse and your kids and your parents should look like hate compared to the love you have for me. The devotion you have for your own biological family should look like nothing compared to the devotion that you have for me. He doesn't lighten up on us. Verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower? Anybody here desiring to build a tower today? If so, this is for you. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, he is not able to finish uh, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Verse 33, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Can we all agree like that's pretty harsh language? Let me read it to you again. Feel this. Therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Don't you just love the real Jesus? No sales pitch. 
No PR, just here it is. You want to follow me? It's going to cost you. One more famous story, and then we'll move on. Uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 18 through 23. A ruler came up to Jesus and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How would you answer that question? Think about that. That seems like a softball. What must I do? You're like, really? Like, you're really asking me this? Awesome. And you'd think Jesus would just flow with the gospel. Oh, well, you believe I came and lived a perfect life. You could never live. Out of death, you deserve to die. And that I'll raise from the dead. Conquered sin, death, and hell. So you can stand before God, holy, blameless, and accepted. That's what I would have said. But Jesus, he's looking at this man's heart. And he knows what his God really is. He detects it. And so Jesus responds with a question. Which he always does. I'll answer your question with another question. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And the man said, I've done all these since my youth. Zero self-awareness. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have. Distribute to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Listen, I don't think Jesus asked everyone to sell all they owe, but he clearly asked some to do it. And I just want to ask you, if he asked that of you today, would you do it? What if he just said, downsize your home so that you can be more generous? What if he said, get rid of that vehicle and and go get one that's 10 years old with 150,000 miles so you don't have a car payment so you can be more generous? What if he said, get rid of your retirement? What if he said, cancel Netflix or that other membership? Sell all you owe. Distribute to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Verse 23, but when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. For this rich young man, he could not take up his cross. He couldn't do it. There was an obstacle between him and Jesus. And what was his obstacle? Money. But you know what? I'm not concerned with his life. I'm concerned with my life and with your life. And the question I want to ask you today is, what is the obstacle that is keeping you right now between you and the life that you are longing for that is found in Jesus? For some of you, maybe it is money. For others, maybe it's a leisurely lifestyle. Comfort. I want to do what I want when I want. If I want to be able to go here, I can go there. I don't, I, if I want to be able to spend money this way, I can spend money that way. I can just do whatever I want, whenever I want. Nobody has authority over me. Maybe for some of you it's success, it's work, it's to build up this retirement fund, it's sex, it's this image that you want to project to others. For this rich young man, guys, we have to hear this is so sobering. Jesus is right in front of him, offering him the life that he is longing for, and he just couldn't commit. He could not pick up his cross, and therefore he walked away sad. Maybe this is where some of you are this morning. You believe in Jesus. Majority is, or chances are, the majority of people, not all the people in here today, believe in Jesus. But some of you have this low-grade, just unhappiness. What's up with that? This low-grade sense of discontentment. And I think, honestly, 
For a lot of us, it could be because we're not willing to really pick up our cross and go all in on following Jesus. And so we're sad. Rather than following Jesus his way on his terms, we're still trying to follow Jesus our way and on our terms. Sky Jatani in his book, The Divine Commodity, writes about this. He says, my secret, this says, I'm just reading this for you guys, right? It'll be convicting for y'all. It wasn't for me at all this week. My secret is that I want to be relevant and popular. I want my desires fulfilled and my pain minimized. I want a manageable relationship with an institution rather than messy relationships with real people. I want to be transformed into the image of Christ by showing up at entertaining events rather than through the hard work of discipline. I want to wear my faith on my sleeve and not look at the darkness in my heart. And above all, I want a controllable God. I want a divine commodity to do my will on earth as well as, well as in heaven. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was with, our, um, with Luke and Adam, and we were eating lunch. And y'all probably remember this. A girl came up to us that I knew from college ministry. And she began to talk to us. And it became very clear as we began to, to hear her talk about how she's having sex with her boyfriend uh, about how she doesn't uh, want kids because kids are little demons and they like to get in her way and mess up her lifestyle, being able to go wherever they want and travel. And basically, she began to talk about this lifestyle that was the antithesis of the gospel. And that didn't surprise me. But what did surprise me is after she got done, you remember this? She turned around a little thing. She said, oh, and by the way, I'm now painting crosses and selling them. So if you know anybody in the church that want one, like, let me know. And on the, on the picture, on the painting, it said, he died so that I may live. And she walked away, and I, and I looked at Adam, and I said, how in the world can you have, how in the world can you live that life and then paint crosses that say, he died so that I may live? And Adam said, easy, because she thinks he died so that she may live however she wants. Maybe that's where you are this morning. You want Jesus as a Savior, you just don't want him as Lord. You want him in the next life, because who, who wants to go to hell? But you don't want him in this life. And the reality is, Jesus says, if I'm not coming in your life as Lord, I'm not coming as Savior. If you don't give me this life, I'm not going to give you the next life. Um, I understand, guys, listen, this is not a popular sermon. Don't expect it to be. This has not been a popular message from the first century. It's certainly not popular now. And it's really what, what was discouraging to me is I think in American culture, more than any other else in the world, this true message of discipleship seems to not only fly in the face in our culture, but even in the culture within the church. Because in the church, we have this prosperity movement that says, you know what Jesus really wants? What he wants more than anything is to make you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, and to give you really cool friends. That's, he wants to be your buddy. That's what he really wants more than anything. And Mark Sayers, in his book, The Disappearing Church, writes about this, and he says, we all subtly imbibe in the implicit prosperity gospel. And it is, it is like so subtle. We all subtly imbibe in the implicit prosperity gospel through consumerism and advertising, but also through the viewing of the lives of other Christians who seem to lead amazing, meaningful, pleasure-filled lives. We only have to troll through our Instagram feeds or Facebook or whatever social media platform to find pastors, believing musicians, artists, authors, and activists who seem to live incredible lives. These people seem to have the best of both worlds. They follow Jesus and get to travel. Live in cool neighborhoods, hang with really interesting people, have incredible marriages, or rock the single life, and connect with the most amazing people. We do not recognize the way in which the implicit prosperity gospel affects all of us until our unspoken expectations are not met. 
We all have expectations in here, don't we, when we follow Jesus of what all he's going to give us to make much of our kingdom. And we don't realize it until that's threatened and we begin to blow up or we turn away from the faith. Guys, listen, I know we all understand that God would ask people in two-thirds of the world to sacrifice. Our hidden heresy beneath the surface of the American church is we don't think he would do that to people in America. We don't think that he would really ask us to give up anything to follow him, to ever really deny ourselves. And guys, this has convicted me so much this week. Just being honest with you. I am this guy at times that I want the best of both worlds. I want to be really generous, but I also want to be really rich. (laughs) Um, I want character, but I don't want suffering. I want humility, but I certainly don't want humiliation. I want patience, but I don't want to have to wait. Ever. I want kindness, but I don't want people in my life that agitate or annoy me. Um, I want to hear God's voice, but I do not want to sit still. Basically, I want the life of Jesus, but there are areas in my life where I still don't want to take up the cross of Jesus. Um, just this past week, I, I, I started thinking about this. And every time, I, before I preach to you all, I promise you, I preach it to myself. And I try to tell myself each week, I'm not going to get up here until I've really preached it and felt it in my own heart first. And this past week... I sort of thinking like, is there, is there really any area in my life that I'm not picking up my cross? Because I don't see any obvious areas. Being serious, I'm like, I don't see any like, obvious stuff. Like, is there really any areas I'm not picking up my cross? And so I was like, Jesus, like, just show me. And what he pointed me to was soccer practice on Tuesday night. And I blame you, Shonda, because you weren't there. <laughs> and so uh, after soccer practice, I gave the uh, five and six-year-old girls uh, a, a sucker. Um, after practice, my daughter was the last in line, and she came up to get a sucker out and to have the color she wanted, and she lost her mind. Like, she threw herself on the ground, started yelling the most annoying scream you've ever heard in your entire life, kicking, screaming, punching the ground, and I began to feel this legitimate, like, anger. Like, seriously, like, I wanted to shake my daughter, anger. And in the moment, the reason I thought I was mad is because my daughter looks like a fool. But what the Spirit convicted me of this week is you weren't angry because your daughter looked like a fool. You were angry because you thought you looked like a fool. And what the Spirit convicted me of in that moment is, Jared, you know what area you need to pick up a cross in? Is you're still more concerned about how you look on the outside than even what's going on with your daughter on the inside. That you still care more about how you look to those people than you care about shepherding the heart of your eternal soul that's in your daughter. I don't know how this sermon may be hitting you today. But uh, I can promise you we all have areas where we still need to pick up our cross and we're not doing it. I don't know what it may be for you. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like me. You're like, I actually can't think of anything. Any area where I'm disobeying God right now, where I'm not picking up my cross. Okay, well, let me encourage you to do this. Ask your spouse. Not now. Like when you're away from all the rest of us. Ask your spouse, hey, where's an area where I still don't look like Jesus and I'm not trusting Jesus? 
Ask your kids. If your kids are honest, your kids might be scared of you, depending on how you parent them. I don't know. But if your kids are, if your kids are honest with you, which they should be able to be honest with you, and you admit your failures and weaknesses to them, which you should do, ask your kids, hey, where's an area where daddy's still not loving you like Jesus? Or an area where you see mommy not quite being like Jesus? And let them talk. They'll find something. If you still can't find anything, then look at your bank account. Look at your credit card statement. We'll find areas, I'm telling you, all of us, where we need to pick up our cross and follow after Jesus. And listen to me, guys. Listen. Please hear me. When you choose to follow after Jesus, when you pick up your cross, you know what it's going to feel like? Death. Death feels like death. Picking up your cross is going to feel exactly like what it sounds like. We have, got to, we have got to let go of this idea that if it doesn't feel good, it must not be right. Amen. Following Jesus, I'm telling you, is the opposite way of everything your flesh is crying out and saying you need. It's going to hurt. It's going to be messy. It's going to be hard. But in the end, the promise from Jesus is what? If you're willing to die, then you find life. Then you find deep life, true life, abundant life, the life that every single one of us are longing for with him. Yesterday I took um, 10 guys uh, I do this thing every year called the Band of Brothers where I pick 10, 10 men in the church and basically walk through what it means to be the man God's created them to be. And this year we kicked it off by going to a ropes course. And I have sermon illustrations for years, guys. Because it's, and uh, one of them I'm going to show to you right now. This is um, to set it up for you. Can you hold You good? Okay. Um, you can see how tall that is. This is something every band, uh, every one of the guys in the Band of Brothers had to walk across. I don't know at what point this was, but Adam is now up on that beam. Um, that is like a long railroad tie around it. It's not flat at the top. I don't know how tall that is. Uh, we'll call it uh, a 1,000 feet in the air. And so, because that's what it felt like. And so, um, anyways, Adam is up there. He's absolutely terrified. He's even told us, like, I'm literally facing my fears here. You'll have to listen carefully. See if you can hear the moans and groans coming from Adam. Okay, let's, let's play that. <laughs> How'd your knuckles get so white? <laughs> you got it, Adam. <laughs> I'm about to lose my lunch. All right. I'm not. Hold on a minute. I let go with my left hand. I need to keep it behind me. Hold on that rope. Really? There's nobody recording this. I am. About to hear him from the Oh. Oh. Good job. The hard part's over now, Adam. All right, all right, let's stop it right there. Eventually, let's give Adam a round of applause. He made it all the way across. <clears throat> Slowly but surely, he made it all the way across. And when he came down, someone said, man, how does it feel to know you made it across and you're back down? And literally, this is what he said, I feel alive. I feel alive, he said. 
One small step at a time. One small death to self. And resulted in joy. Resulted in feeling alive. This is a great metaphor for following Jesus. This is why John Mark Comer says this. Discipleship to Jesus is a thousand small deaths that leads to one massive life. Small death. Every day. And it feels that way. It's scary. It's hard. Some people are not going to be willing to do it. But in the end, it leads to life. Here's the question. What is the next step for you? What is, the, what is the obstacle right now that is keeping you from experiencing the abundant life with Jesus? What is it that Jesus is calling you? What cross is he calling you to pick up in order to follow him? With that in mind, I'm going to end here. Matthew 13, 44. I think I'll put it on the screen for you. Read this and we'll be done. Matthew 13, 44. Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys the field. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, is like a man walking in a field that's for sale. He finds there's this this treasure, and he can't afford to buy it himself with what he has. So he goes and he sells everything that he has so that he can then buy this field. Jesus says, that's what the kingdom is like. It's looking at me and it's saying that I am more treasured than anything else in the world and therefore I will lose everything. I'll give it all up in order to have Christ. This is why Jim Elliott says, the famous missionary, and I read this quote a couple weeks ago, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This morning as we close, listen, do not just count the cost of following Jesus. Count the cost of not following Jesus. Count the cost of coming here week after week after week after week and listening to what I say and don't apply any of it. Listen and think about the cost of going half in, of settling for lukewarm Christianity, which, by the way, is not Christianity at all. Guys, the truth is, following Jesus will cost you something. Not following Jesus will cost you far more. The only way to experience the life you're longing for is to go the opposite way. It's to live an unorthodox life. It's to to choose to die to the desires of the flesh, to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. If you have not done this, I pray that today you do. It's your decision. Jesus is before you. Listen, guys, we're almost done. He's before you. He's calling you. Pick up your cross. Go all in or all out. Which one is it?